Would you pray with me before we listen to God's word read? Father, help us to receive your care as we listen to and consider and long to believe more deeply the promises and descriptions of your character and commands to obedience from your word. Jesus, Jesus, would you enliven our faith as we wait, as we have sung so many times this morning, for your kingdom to indeed overflow on this earth. Holy Spirit, would you comfort and encourage us and convict us. Amen. As we move from uh, the end of summer season into the fall season, which for many of us is a big change, for some of us is medium-sized, and for others not too much changes. But around us are all sorts of changes. Um, preaching Psalm 63. Um, so if you have your Bible, I'll be starting in verse 1. O oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and leery wa- weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Flannery O'Connor said that all we need is need. As she was describing our approach to God. And David, who is a very troubling figure in the Bible, we also know more about him than every other figure in the Bible, including Jesus, which is part of the reasons it's so troubling and what he did do and didn't do. But David knows his need, which is one of the reasons... God both made him an instrument of the writing of his word, but also king. And David's disoriented. We know a little bit about why this is. It it says in in the verse description of Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. And some of the things that describe scripture to us, like where it says, my soul thirsts for you, that's a made up title, although it's from the text, so it's good. But those words are actually part of the text. And some of the Psalms, we know some context and some we don't. And I think that can distract us sometimes from the utility of the Psalms, but when we know the context, it can help us. And David is disoriented. If you've been at the barn for any length of time, you've heard me say that word a lot. You've either started avoiding it, depending on how you don't like my use or you're using it a little more often in your life. But it's a very, very, very important category for life and the with. God life especially because it isn't simple often 
And we have good seasons. In my experience, we don't realize we're having a good season until it ends, oftentimes. <laughs> but we do have good seasons. But we have challenging seasons also. Seasons of darkness, literal and metaphorical. Someone who just recently moved to the area asked me if it really gets dark at 4.30 in December. <laughs> I said, yep. And I think the reason we're chuckling is we know something about the movement of life, the seasons of life. And this can get overly trite, but it's so essential, friends, that we learn how to answer God in all of our seasons, with all of our emotions, with our mind and with our very being. This psalm is very oriented on God, and yet, as verses 9 and 10 and even 11 allude to, uh, David is disoriented in it. But he knows his need. O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So personal. So intimate. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, verse 2, beholding your power and your glory. David has had profound experiences with God. We know he's a musician. Perhaps some of them were through music. David is a man of prayer, intimate prayer. I think some of us, perhaps even uncomfortable if we're really listening to and paying attention to Psalm 63. What about you? When have you sensed or resonated with your sense of, I was working on this language on the way over here, not fully workshopped yet. When have you known that God loves you? When have you known that he calls you his own and into his obedience and that was actually joyful? For many of us, it's music. For others, you want me to pause more often because the water helps you calm. For many of you, it's times of corporate prayer. Perhaps even, maybe, during a well-preached sermon. Maybe. And if we're watching out, sometimes the Lord is very surprising. I told this story before, but it's been a while. Years ago, and this is through friendship. Not the formal or individual practices of the Christian life, but one of the greatest gifts of the kingdom is friendship. And I was meeting with a friend in an olive garden. And we were talking about a statement that had been oppressing him. And I said, you know the Bible very well. Does that sound like the voice of the Lord to you? And he stood up and started weeping and we hugged. And I felt bad for the servers because it was a long hug. <laughs> and there were a lot of tears. But I didn't feel bad enough to let go. We had this beautiful moment where I knew that God loved him and was honored that I got to ask what I thought was a simple question. And in the Holy Spirit's power was a freeing question. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does, guides us from bondage into freedom. And this is all under the heading of an experience of the truth that you might know but at times, we're gifted with a strong sense and knowledge 
of. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. For a long time I would have told you that was one of my favorite life verses. Now as I continue to study the text, I'm not positive what David meant except that being known by God is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, gift available. And the only reason I say, if not the, is because of all my theological intersections in my head. David knew that being known by God is ultimate, is the ultimate human opportunity for being human, for receiving rest of soul, for responding in thankfulness and obedience to the chesed of God. One of the reasons that we switched 10 years ago to the English Standard Version of the Bible is because of the way it translates this word in Hebrew. The NIV calls it love. And if you have a good biblical definition of love, that's great. But the word is not love. There's a word for love. It's lev. And then there's a word for steadfast, covenanting love, a love that will not leave you or forsake you, a love that will not let you go, a love that will not quit. And David knew that receiving that, because God was so gracious, is better than all of the rest of life. Maybe I do know what he meant. And David is having an existential response to the love of God, even in his disorientation. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. We experience God also. We remember his steadfast love that God gives to us. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. And now I want a burnt-in sandwich from Bears. Burnt-in sandwich. It's really, really, really good. And we can worry about diet and talk about that, and we can also notice David's full expectation that being known by God and responding in individual and corporate worship and in obedience creates an expectation in us that God satisfy the deepest needs of our humanity as his children. And we respond by continuing to sing and by continuing to honor him when we're speaking with neighbors and coworkers and friends. Because worship is not simply what we do here, it is all of life. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. This is a little bit more direct than verse 1. Um, indicator to us that David is disoriented. He's waking up in the middle of the night. Not just because he might, you know, need to drink some water or use the facilities, but because he's concerned. He's in a disoriented place, and he wakes up thinking about it. This happens to me all the time for all sorts of different reasons. Concern for my own family and children, concern for you lovely people that I have the honor of pastoring, concerns for my extended family, 
the challenge of those relationships from a distance. What do you do when you can't sleep? Seek out diversion? Do you fight it? Use medicine? A good night, I get a glass of water, pray, go back to bed. We utilized uh, Psalm 3 this morning, which reminds us that God comforts us and helps us to rest. There are a number of psalms that um, overlap with this because part of the human condition is disorientation and part of the gift of the gospel of Jesus that the psalmists knew something of metaphorically through the covenant of God and his steadfast love we know more about because we have the New Testament is actual peace to not just our minds but also our bodies. This is one of the reasons scripture memorization is beneficial. I may make a great plan for what I'm going to do in the middle of the night, but executing that plan is a lot more challenging unless I have some things memorized, which is why I often pray the Lord's Prayer when I wake up in the night and pausing if I realize where my distress is and easily fitting that distress within the categories of the Lord's Prayer. David's remembering, David's meditating and waking up in his disorientation and remembering that God has been his help. And in the shadow of his wings, he will sing for joy. So he knows the promises of God, both to uh, Israel and to himself. Do you know the promises of God? And do you know what they look like in your life today? And here's what I mean. At work, who would you be if not for Christ? You think I'm sarcastic now. If you're married, who are you in that relationship without Jesus? And I think knowing much of many of your stories an awkward sentence. Knowing something about your life and stories, I think you can answer that question relatively quickly. That's an indicator of your knowledge of the promises of God in your life. What David is getting at when he says in the the past tense, for you have been my help. And the reason I reference the nation of Israel is he's reflecting on Psalm 19, 4 through 6, which was both the promise and the mandate given to the nation of Israel to be a nation that blesses every other nation, to guide them away from the deathly idolatry and into relationship with God who loves and teaches us to care for all neighbors. We experience God, we remember his steadfast love and we cling to him. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. David's clinging to him amidst the disorientation that we're learning a little bit more about. Those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. Now I know I make this point a lot. And the reason that I make this point a lot is in Jesus' prayer book, this point is made a lot. Our prayers need to be this honest and this intimate. 
not only because it's modeled here for us, but also because it can be an indicator of where we are in forgiving those that have harmed us. When you picture the one that's harmed you, do you want the coyotes to be getting after them, meaning someone already harmed them? If you do, that's an indicator that you're not at least able to stay in a place of forgiveness. But the Psalms would teach us to not pretend on our spiritual pathway from a place of unforgiveness into a place of forgiveness. We can be honest in full trust of God. If I got to read your prayer journal, would it make me uncomfortable? It probably should, as mine should you. If I'm actually praying like verse 9 and 10, and you're like, wow, he struggles with forgiveness more than I would have known. Yep. And so thankful that maybe just for a second, David wanted to pick, wanted to see jackals eating his enemies because someone had already struck, had struck them down. Maybe it was for a day. And he didn't know as much about the importance of forgiving neighbor as we do, but the Lord was guiding him through that process and guiding him to write it down to be used in corporate and individual prayers that we might release it to God. And it is not just real enemies, those that are not for you in your world, those that are actively trying to thwart your good. It's also the metaphorical enemies, sickness, even instability and how that can tempt us to respond poorly to our neighbors, trauma. These are metaphorical enemies. I was listening to a podcast months ago and they were riffing on corrections to what doesn't kill you makes you stronger because that's actually a terrible phrase. You know that, right? Like what doesn't kill you probably sure scared you. What doesn't kill you probably really wore you out. What doesn't kill you has probably stuck with you in terms of fear moving forward. What doesn't kill you that people joke about probably makes you jump a little bit. Those are our metaphorical enemies, that we long for them to be given over to the power of the sword, that they shall be a portion for jackals, those old enemies. Do you know what you want God to do to your enemies, metaphorical or real? And listen, listen, I know I've said this before. When I ask that question, don't compartmentalize it. Don't reject it. Don't try and be more spiritual than Jesus directed or than the Psalms model. Do you know what you want God to do to your enemies? That helps you understand where you are in the forgiveness and it will grow you closer with God and he can take it. Did you ever see Bruce Almighty? Remember what he does to Evan, the guy who gets the anchor job played by Steve Carell? I can't imitate it. What I've heard is that Steve Carell got the role in Bruce Almighty by just that scene. He just had to do that scene where Jim Carrey makes him talk really fast in nonsensical voices.
in that movie, God gives all of his power to Jim Carrey. I'm only ruining the first six minutes of the movie. It's still funny. It's odds. Jim Carrey overacting. I get it. But it's an honest picture of what he wanted to do to this one who was not for him at his place of business. Where are you? With enemies real and metaphorical. We experience God and remember his steadfast love and cling to him. And a mature person of faith clings to God by being fully honest with him. Whether that needs to be in the car, though I'm not as big of a fan of in the car as prayer closet. If it needs to be in the car because that's a safe space. If it's with a journal. If it's with a friend where it, it, come, it, it, it flows out of you differently because you have a, a conversation partner. And we do this in hope and in confidence. David, who was a type of Christ, one who would stand before the people against the enemy, knew that eventually a king was going to come who would be exceedingly better than him. When he says, for the mouths of liars will be stopped, he was given by the Holy Spirit some sense that this will go away. The real and the metaphorical enemies. The real enemies will become friends. Metaphorical enemies will be wiped away. We sing about it well at Christmas. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. This is one of the hundreds, if not thousands, it's thousands, thousands of references in the Old Testament to Christian end times teachings, which exist that we endure. That's why the Bible is so clear that Jesus will return. And we get overly concerned about when and how and miss the greater, and it's okay to be somewhat concerned about those things. Not really when, because Jesus said you're not going to know because he didn't know. We get overly concerned with how and miss that the actual purpose of Psalm 63 verse 11 and the book of Revelation and the book of 1 Thessalonians and Mark chapter 13 when Jesus talked about it is to encourage us to endure as followers of Christ until he returns. The psalm reminds us to pray in the meantime. The psalm reminds us in its encouragement to do so communally to do Spiritual friendship in the disorienting present. All of the scriptures would remind us to be faithfully present with our words and money and actions and time in the unsettling now. And I remind you of that in the same way that I remind you that the three kinds of psalms, in addition to all the theological categories, are psalms of disorientation and orientation and reorientation. You could call this any of them actually. Because it's so full of praise, even though there's some dark verses there at the end. And that's what we get to experience as individuals and especially as a church because we're constantly changing as a church because people move, start attending people, leave. In the fall, we get to say goodbye to the summer and some of you are so glad. You hate bugs and that's fine with me. We say goodbye to one service which I need to remember to do a lot this week because the energy for two services is very different than the energy for one service. A lot more teams involved. Welcome back, Colin. Because there are good seasons in life 
and they're reflected in the Psalms and they teach us to pray in those seasons. There are disorienting seasons in life and there are disorienting Psalms that teach us how to be honest with God in that moment. And there are the gospel Psalms of reorientation where something happens and then something in the context changes and we are recovered and we praise again. Christians are prepared for all the seasons of life if we will pay attention to our scriptures and use them the way that they're intended with honesty in community before God. Before I pray, I'd like to invite uh, our servers to come down. I'd like to invite our music team to give us a song, give us a minute for parents to prepare their children for the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, which is for baptized and professing followers of Jesus. God, we praise and thank you for Psalm 63 that guides us in praise, in honesty, in hope, and in trust. Amen.